what world are we in? This is so crazy. Welcome to the Good Life Revival podcast, where we explore how to better align our lifestyles with our landscapes. I'm your host, Sam Sycamore, coming to you as always from my off-grid sanctuary among the redwood-covered mountains of California's northern central coast. This time around on a cool and calm afternoon, right in the middle of November 2019. I want to apologize for taking so long between episodes once again. It's hard to believe my podcast tutorial on eating acorns was published uh, an entire month ago. A week after that, I followed it up with a detailed photo tutorial um, for processing acorns, which I invested a lot of work in, and it actually immediately blew up and became the closest thing to a viral hit that I've ever experienced. It's just far and away the most popular blog post I've ever written. Um, so yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, if you want to check that out, I think it's a really nice supplement to the podcast episode on acorns that I did. Um, yeah, if you want to check that out, you can visit the blog on my website at thegoodliferevival.com slash blog. And I will also link to it in today's show notes, which will be at thegoodliferevival.com slash podcast slash 71. But anyway, I got caught up in writing and teaching about acorns, uh, not to mention gathering and processing my own. And then my wild food mentorship started up again at the beginning of November. Um, So I've been devoting quite a bit of time to working with the, I think, 16 people in the end um, who uh, signed up for the program. Shout out to all of you. Uh, It's been great uh, starting to get to know you all. And I can't wait to see what happens in the coming months. But uh, yeah, just had a little bit more on my plate than usual lately, and um, I appreciate your patience, dear listener. Today on the show, we're going to catch up with my pal Luke McLaughlin, who you might remember from all the way back in episode 24, released about this time two years ago. Luke is a primitive skills instructor and director of Holistic Survival School, which operates in and around Asheville, North Carolina. And if there was any doubt about whether this is a dude who practices what he preaches, all you gotta do is look up his multiple appearances now on the television series Naked and Afraid to see him putting into practice all of those survival skills that he teaches to others. We had a great conversation about what he's been up to since we last connected for the podcast, and I know you're gonna enjoy hearing what he's got to say. But before we venture on to that section of the show, first, I simply must offer my sincere gratitude to listeners Jasmine, Danica, Michael, Lucas, and Bruce. Hey, JoJo, I'm recording a thing right now. Can you hold off on that for a minute, please? Please? Thanks, bud. Anyway, thank you to uh, all of the new subscribers and everybody who's ever been a subscriber on Patreon uh, over at patreon.com slash goodliferevival. Patreon is the crowdfunding platform that enables me to derive a fairly modest amount of money from this work, uh, most of which gets reinvested right back into the project in the form of hosting fees, um, books that I read and research, gas money to travel to interviews, and other random expenses that pop up. Trust me, I am not getting rich through this work or even really making anything approaching a living wage, to be quite honest, but that's okay. That's not why I do this. You know, uh, your support on Patreon enables me to justify the amount of time and energy that I invest in this work. A pledge of any any amount on Patreon, as little as a dollar per month, it's really a huge morale booster for yours truly. And there are many perks associated with your subscription as well. You can stream and download all the music that I create for the show, because yes, all music you hear here was made by me. Uh, You'll be able to hear interviews immediately after I record them, sometimes weeks before they're published on the main feed. 
and you'll be able to check out my monthly members-only newsletter where I spill the beans about what I'm working on and what you can expect from the podcast in the weeks to come. And with the release of this episode, I'm experimenting with a new perk to hopefully entice more people to join us over on Patreon. For the last couple years, whenever I've done an interview episode like this one, I've generally always written and recorded a follow-up piece to the conversation with my final thoughts and reflections, which I tack on to the end of the episode. For today's episode, and for all interviews going forward, those final thoughts will now be self-contained bonus episodes exclusively for my Patreon subscribers. So if you dig those pieces uh, that you've been hearing at the end of my interview episodes up until now, you dig this podcast, and you want more content from me on a monthly basis, I hope that this will persuade you to join us at any level, like I said, over on Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash goodliferevival. If you don't really care about perks and extra stuff and you'd prefer to offer a one-time financial contribution instead of a recurring monthly pledge, you may choose to toss a few bucks in my digital tip jar at paypal.me slash goodliferevival. As a matter of fact, while I was preparing the notes for this episode, my new friend of the show, uh, Jeremy, dropped a few coins in the old virtual hat as a way of thanking me for my work. So thank you, Jeremy, and everyone else who's pitched in whatever they can over at paypal.me slash goodliferevival. And as always, if you're looking for ways to support this show but money is not an option for you, trust me, I understand, (laughs) perhaps better than many out there. (laughs) Uh, If that's the case, then uh, the best thing you can do for me is just to take a moment right now. You can pause the podcast and I promise I'll be waiting here for you when you get back. Please take a moment right now to leave an honest review and rating of the show through whatever podcast player you're using. This seemingly small act of social proof really does go a long way towards legitimizing this thing in the eyes of newcomers and bumping it up a little higher on the list when people go searching for stuff like this. So that's a bunch of stuff. Uh, I hope you'll consider doing some or all of that for me uh, if you can, if you want to. Uh, I would really appreciate it. But listen, even if you do nothing at all other than sit back and listen, that's good enough for me. (laughs) Thank you for being here. As I mentioned up top, today's episode is a conversation that I had with Luke McLaughlin. Though he is primarily a teacher of the shall we say, hard skills in the realm of wilderness survival and nature connection. Our conversation here is much more focused on what you'd call the art of inner tracking, which is to say, feeling your way through your own feelings and thoughts uh, to to hopefully get to a place of healing and greater self-actualization. I think what we find here in this realm of primitive skills Um, as is also the case with many other pursuits in life, right? Um, The the hands-on stuff often demands that we acknowledge the why questions, the big picture stuff, right? Uh, And the answers to those questions, I think, often have a lot more to do with coming to terms with our place in the world um, rather than you know, the, the details of, of whatever the, the task at hand may be. You know, may, maybe you sign up to learn how to make a friction fire, right? But by hour four of the workshop, when you still can't seem to get the hang of it for whatever reason, and then all of your deepest, darkest fears and frustrations seem to suddenly swell up out of nowhere from beneath the surface. Well, when that happens... I hope you will be adequately prepared with the emotional toolkit necessary to deal with it all. So I think that ought to give you an idea of of where we're going to go in this conversation, among many other places. So yeah, let's get into it, shall we?
Hey everybody, my name is Luke McLaughlin. I am the founder and uh, director of Holistic Survival School, um, which resides around the Asheville, North Carolina area. I'm a primitive skills instructor, so at Holistic Survival School I teach people how to connect to the natural world by learning skills of our ancestors and um, how to connect to ourselves and how to um, connect to each other. So yeah, I play with sticks and stones for a living basically. <laughs> right on. Well, yeah, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast and talking to me again. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks. Thanks again for having me, Sam. Yeah. So we first met, I guess it was this time two years ago when I was voyaging through North Carolina. And then, let's see, we crossed paths again around this time last year uh, when I was still in southern Indiana and uh, you were on the road. Yeah. And uh, yeah, now here we are again today, um, both in quite different circumstances than uh, the last time we spoke. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as, as I gather, since I last talked to you, you have cut off your mighty mane of dreadlocks and yes. uh, left the wilderness for city life in Asheville. So yeah, I'm I'm really curious uh what's uh what's been going on? What's what's led to this big change and, and how's it going for you? Man, when you say it like that, it sounds so dramatic. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I did cut all my hair and move into the city. Who am I? What am I doing? <laughs> uh, what has he become? What have I become? <laughs> your your mirror is too real for me, Sam. I can't. <laughs> Yeah, well, the hair, yeah, they're kind of, they're, they're definitely separate. Um, it's definitely been a year of shifting for me. So, you know, I had dreadlocks that just formed naturally out of my head <laughs> um, because of my days in wilderness therapy, being an instructor in wilderness therapy. And basically, these dreadlocks just came from, you know, camping out for weeks at a time and not combing my hair. And yeah, being in Asheville, there's a lot of conversations going around about cultural appropriation and trying to be an ally for people of color who, you know, often aren't allowed to uh, have dreadlocks in like work environments. And so a lot, I had a lot, people would approach me, a lot of my friends would approach me with those conversations and I would be open to them and listen. And um, I never really got on board with either of them. The cultural appropriation piece, I don't really, you know, it's like, I don't think this is a specific culture I'm trying to steal it from. I'm not trying to be Rasta. You know, it just happened out of my head. And I think a lot of people have had dreadlocks across, across the world. So that one never got to me. And the one about, you know, being an ally for people of color, like basically my dreads show my privilege. I was like, I get that and I am privileged and I am allowed to, you know, have a different perspective. Like people view me differently for having dreadlocks than if I was a person of color having dreadlocks. Mm. And um, I totally understood that. And, but at the same time, I was like, doesn't everything show my privilege? You know, doesn't just my skin color show my privilege? Mm. And for me, my dreadlocks represented my wildness and my disgust with civilization and, um, but anyway, so I never really bought on, I didn't cut my hair for either of those reasons, but those, our, those conversations really led, showed me how attached I was to my hair, mm. that I was just like clinging to this identity of Luke with dreads. And I was just like, oh, wow. Yeah, I have a lot of like ego wrapped up in my hair and I feel this clinging and attachment. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't need that. That's not me. You know, I'm, I had a lot of fear about who I, who I would be and what I would look like and how people would recognize me without my hair. Yeah, and to go even a little bit more vulnerable, I was afraid of being like, quote unquote, normal. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm just gonna look like a normal guy. And I have to stand out. I have to be different. And um, yeah, so I just kind of said, No, that's, that's fear. That's ego. So I cut those off with to cut off some, some flint, and uh, sawed off all my dreads in kind of a ceremonial shedding of my skin. And that was really raw. I was surprised at how raw I was. I felt so vulnerable and different to, yeah, I had to like reintroduce myself. I'm still doing that. I'm still reintroducing myself to people. And um, yeah, so that's, it's been interesting. It feels good. Overall, it feels great. But um, it was definitely an, a shift for me. And then, yeah, moving into the city, um, basically just where I've been living. I was living in a yurt and living on land for a couple of years and um, with some friends and just because we just, um, 
yeah, we just didn't quite jive in our living style. I've kind of run around doing my school stuff and they were definitely hardcore homesteaders and they wanted people um, on the land that were going to work and, you know, and, and be there a little bit more. And I'm not one for um, planting veggies. I'm more of a wild, wild plants kind of person and a hunting kind of person. So um, we decided to part ways and that's been, that's been fine and all good. But um, yeah, moving to the city has been another shift. Um, you know, kind of feeling like, I guess I've been feeling my grief more about where we are at in civilization. Mm. And, you know, I, I, it's easy to be in your own little bubble when you're out in the woods and maybe, you know, you don't have to see as much of the crap that's going on in this world. You can kind of like, oh, I'm in my bubble, you know? And so I guess that's one thing that I'm appreciative of, even though it's not been easy. Um, I've been feeling, you know, just being in the city more and seeing people, um, I don't know, be disconnected more and seeing how hurt the wilderness is in the, you know, in my local area, like how damaged the forest is. And, um, so in a way that's really beautiful because that's what I'm trying to help people do is, is to find a way to live a wild life in this modern world, you know, that is so disconnected and it is so detached from the wilderness that, it's been a good test for me of like, oh, right, what am I telling people to do? Like, is this really work? <laughs> like, does my advice really help people in everyday life? Or is it just for us hippies who are, you know, found a way to get out of the, out of, out of the world a little bit? So um, mm. it's, it's been good, but it's definitely been transitions for me. Yeah, that's such an important point about like remaining connected to the, the, the roots of, of what it is that you're trying to put out into the world. Mm -hmm. It's like if, if you're so far removed from what the average person is dealing with in their day-to-day -day city life, then yeah, how, how, how can you even know how to help them find a, a better sense of connection with, with the natural world? Totally. Yeah. I definitely never want to be that person. You know, I, I want it to be relatable to the, to the, to most of society. You know, I'm never going to reach everyone, but I've always viewed myself as a bridge, a person who can go and do wild stuff in, in the woods and then come back and like maintain an Instagram page and go on podcasts and respond to emails. And um, yeah, it's not, it's like I said, it's not always easy, but um, I guess it reminds me of the concept. There's a, a Buddhist concept of the warrior's heart, which is the heart that remains open, you know, and it's not, it's not a guarded heart. It's a heart that's super wide open. And even the slightest feather that touches it will really, I'll feel it, you know, deeply. And that's kind of what I'm trying to remind myself when I'm in the, the schmuck, the, the, the muck of it all of civilization of how can I keep my heart open to all this sadness and disconnection and hardship that I see. And, um, how can I feel it? And then how can I transform that and use it to inspire me to keep going in my mission in this world? Mm. Yeah, that's so important. You know, when I, when I first came out here to California at the beginning of the year, um, I, I spent a little over a month living in the city um, in Alameda, just south of Oakland. Um, very like suburban by most people's standards. Uh, but for me, it was a pretty big change coming from uh, a farm in the middle of Amish territory in, in oh, Southern right. Indiana. And uh, I, you know, despite this like big life changing moment, you know, like totally uprooting and, and going and doing this new thing, being really excited about this new adventure that I was on, I definitely felt the, the weight of of city life like immediately you know of course there's like there's the immediate uh factors of like I, I can't look away from like the fact that my my gigantic old ratty truck is just like so out of place <laughs> in a city full of of teslas and 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 priuses and such and then you know i have this 130 pound uh farm dog <laughs> and uh yeah it just felt so out of place between me and the dog and the truck and and really just like yeah feeling the grief the 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 collective grief is, is really the only way i know how to describe it hmm. uh just like like you see it in, in people's expressions as you pass by them on the sidewalk and like everybody's walking so fast like they're so anxious to get wherever they're going mm -hmm. and and it's just like 
it's it's difficult to put into words but it's it's so like i feel like the average person is so steeped in it that that we're often unaware that it's a thing that we are feeling most of the time mm-hmm. yeah i think for myself and for people that come to my classes you know i get these adults that are usually in kind of normal everyday life and then they come to my class and they unplug for three days and at the start we do a kind of a check-in of like do a body scan what's your body feel like how's it feel you know what's what 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 thoughts are going in your mind and then at the end of the class we kind of check in again and almost always people are like I didn't realize how stressed I was until I took three days of not doing things you know and I I as a teacher I still do that too of like I thought I was doing pretty good and then there's more and more layers of relaxation and and um yeah, just relaxation in my body that I didn't even realize I had to shed until I did it. So it's hard to um, come up with systems or solutions to problems when you don't even know you have a problem. Right, right. And, and I think the, the beauty of it is, is it really just takes, it takes someone to just like point it out to you uh because the the solution itself is is really so simple like it's <laughs> it's it's waiting for you in the natural world which is to say uh all around you at all times because you know if you live on earth you're in you're in nature right <laughs> like it's 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 always there it's ever present it's just waiting for you to notice it mhm yeah, absolutely. That's that's my work when I do inner tracking with people. So working on their inner landscape, their feelings, their emotions, their stories, and then also outer work. It's it's all comes back to awareness and mindfulness. And it's just like it's just someone to be there and say, "What are you feeling right now? What are you noticing right now?" Whether it be you know um, when you shut down emotionally, or whether it be when you're trying to make fire with sticks. All you have to do is pay attention. Like that's that's the hard part, right? It's like where do we not pay attention in life? And when we pay attention, ninety nine percent of the time, it's just like, oh, well, I just don't need to do that anymore, or oh, to fix this, I just need to do this. Like it's it's never rocket science. It's just um, it's just the hard part is paying attention and staying conscious when we want to get you know when we want to become unconscious. I I've been thinking a lot about the importance of observation you know i'm i'm somebody who is chronically uh underemployed shall we say <laughs> so i know that story <laughs> i i have a lot of time for quiet observation uh which is great um my bank account is less enthusiastic about it but <laughs> um my my spirit is quite high which mm. is great um yeah i've been thinking a lot about just the amount of time that I invest in pure observation. Uh, like I, <laughs> I was thinking about how my, like my most, my, my most cherished hobby all summer has just been like napping in the sun. <laughs> like that's what you're most likely to find me doing on any given afternoon. <laughs> And and just like just just taking it in, you know, observing like the the bird songs and how like the, the you you hear like different types of birds at different times of day. Uh, you know, they move in from week to week, uh, from month to month, season to season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like and and I, I'm absolutely privileged, you know, for one to have so much free time to invest in observation and also to have this place, you know, out in the woods in the middle of nowhere where I, I'm free to do all of the quiet observation that I, I, I care to do. But it's something that you can do anywhere at any time. You know, like I, 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 I also, uh, so on the weekends, I work for this uh, local farm running their farmer's market booths. And so that takes me all over through the the cities in the Bay Area, whether it's San Francisco or Oakland or uh, San Jose. Uh, and so, so I spend a lot of time in the cities on, on the weekends. And anytime I have downtime, I look for the nearest tree so I can start climbing it, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's right there. It doesn't matter if I'm surrounded by skyscrapers or, or, or where I'm at, you know, it's, it, 
the the land is always there. Nature is always there, waiting to be observed and and recognized. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Just noticing it right now, I'm just like, oh yeah, and there's my breath, and there's the cycles, and there's you know, mm. there's trees out my window, and they're all they're all here, and it's it kind of always reminds me. I, <laughs> it used to be a hardcore Christian. This is a little secret that I don't tell a lot of people. I used to be a pretty devout Christian. Really. Yeah, and um, the 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 idea of what we're talking about right now of like awareness is always present, like it's always there, and all you have to do is pay attention. You know, like this gift is always there waiting for you, and that's kind of always reminds me of the lingo that a lot of Christians use of like, listen, like salvation or Jesus's love or God or whatever you want to call it is just right there. All you have to do is accept it. You know, all you have to do is realize that this pot of gold is you know you're sitting on it all the time and you just have to realize that and so i just always think that's funny i always find these you know i've been a lot of different uh through a lot of different spiritual beliefs and they all kind of have these uh similar nuances to them so i like that yeah yeah it often feels like yeah different language from different times all mm -hmm. essentially getting towards this the same key idea that whatever you need is is right in front of you right now, most likely. <laughs> right, right. Yep. Yeah, I like that. So what are so you've been in the city for a little while now. Uh, I'm I'm sure that's that's definitely while it may be a welcome transition, I'm I'm sure it's been somewhat difficult. I'm sure you've had your fair share of of struggles and 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 feeling blue and wondering whether you made the right choice. Um, are there are there things that you like new routines or, or old habits that you've, you've carried on with you from your, your time out in the woods that are helping you to mm. remain connected and focused? Mm. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. I still, you know, I still practice gratitude quite often, which is kind of a nature connection practice, I guess, you know, just mm. before I eat, I think of the times I've been hungry in the wild, like really, really hungry and kind of just trying to remember, hold those, you know, times I've been, have a hard time in the woods and hold on to those as reference to how good I have it now, you know? Mm. Uh, so every, you know, every time I eat, I just like kind of sit there and think of what I'm grateful for and how good I have it and realize that I'm living like most kings lived in you know, <laughs> large majority of our history i'm just like i want cheese summon me cheese you know like <laughs> it's, it's really amazing when you zoom out and look at how good most of us humans have it have you know in western culture and most of the world you know maybe not most of the world but uh industrialized part of the world i'll say um so gratitude keeps me grounded um moving my body is the thing that's just saving my life i mean mm. um, that just helps me um, really, really connect to what I need, what I'm feeling, the present moment. It's just, it's just so good for me. Um, so one thing, kind of, kind of, you know. So I actually rolled my ankle pretty badly, so I've been, I haven't been able to run and play as much basketball as I normally do. But um, one thing I've been doing in the house, which is nice, uh, is I have these big speakers and I blast some like whatever dance music I want. And I just, you know, um, really root into my body. And then all of a sudden, like feelings just come out of me. I'm like, I don't know what I'm feeling, but I'm feeling weird. So I'm going to dance. And <laughs> it just comes out of me. And I'm just like, Oh, I'm feeling this. That's right. And I'm like moving my body like a wild creature. And it just feels so good. So that's been really nice. I've also been doing a lot of cold showers, um, kind of going from hot to cold soaks. Um, as much as I can, that's been really keeping me in my body and centered. Um, still finding some time to flint nap, make stone tools uh, outside. Nice. <laughs> I, was actually, I was actually also scraping some deer hides out <laughs> in my little side yard. My neighbors were kind of looking at me like, what in the hell are you doing? <laughs> but they seem to be okay with it once I started talking to them. <laughs> right i promise i'm not a serial killer <laughs> <laughs> exactly i also have this like serial killer jumpsuit that i put on when i do it so <laughs> just like slabs of meat and blood all around me and i'm like oh my god i totally look like a murderer <laughs>
Uh, At least I don't look like a Rasta murderer anymore. That would have been really weird. <laughs> right. It's 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 one of those moments where it pays to look like a more or less uh, <laughs> average dude. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, for me, when I, whenever I'm in the city, my favorite thing to do is just to scout out all of the the plants that I that I find like in the cracks in the sidewalk and stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, it makes me so happy. It's like everywhere I go, I I have all of these friends in like the chickweed and the dandelions and the wood sorrel. And uh, you know all these all these other super common plants, almost all of which are edible, uh, that grow everywhere, despite everyone's uh, <laughs> everyone's desire that they would all just uh, disappear. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and yeah, they're just they're just out there in the cracks in the sidewalk, waiting for you to notice them. Yeah, I'm so grateful for those plants and birds. Like you said earlier, you know, like mm. the things that everywhere I go, you know, it's just like they're always there asking me, begging me to pay attention. You know, there's always birds calling. And so moving into the city, it's like, oh, I haven't heard a I haven't heard a mockingbird in quite a while. I forgot they live in the city, you know, and <laughs> it's it's all shifted, you know, the plants and the animals, but they're still there and there's it's like such a beautiful tool to to stay in the present moment and to stay in their senses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, another one that's been huge for me over the last couple of years, I guess, yeah, I guess it started about three years ago when I was I was living on the edge of town when I was still in Kentucky, and I, I really started to observe the moon on a daily basis, mm. and and that's really informed my my connection to the land. As, as paradoxical as that might sound, I guess it just like I, it helps me to tune into you know the 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 monthly rhythm and and the ebb and flow and i I often notice maybe it's it's purely coincidental, but i I often feel as though I have this own my my own sort of emotional rhythm and and ebb and flow that seems to roughly correspond to the cycles of the moon. Like I, I, I'll find that like periods of intense emotion that seem to come out of nowhere. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just like I'll, I'll step outside and and the full moon is is staring me right in the face, just you know, demanding that I notice it. Right. <laughs> and then and then it's like it it allows me to like, I guess it's a perspective thing, right? Because then I remember like all the other times in my life where. I've I've felt intense emotions for whatever reason, and and looked up and seen that same moon staring back at me, and and yeah, just it 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 reframes whatever momentary issue I may be facing in in into the the grander cosmic scale, right? Like yeah. like what is this thing I'm dealing with? Like I'm I'm frustrated that like I'm not going to be able to pay my credit card off <laughs> next month. Right. Like what? what is that's not a thing why am I worried about that (laughs) totally that's a really beautiful way of saying it yeah I think you know I'm always trying to define like well what is it you know why is nature so important there's all these millions and millions of reasons and that's a great one is like this way using nature as a way to root in or or zoom out is a way I kind of say it like zoom out of my little world you know like okay let me let me reframe I am a I am an advanced ape spinning on a planet you know, who's seen millions of years of evolution and I'm worried that, you know, I am not going to make enough money next year or whatever, you know, and the moon, you kind of look at the moon and you, then you kind of giggle like, <laughs> oh, right, there's a moon there that's been there for a billion years and like, it just kind of, it feels like they always kind of chuckle at me, you know. Or even the trees do that for me. It's like every time I go and I sit with trees for a long time, they're just so still and they're just so rooted. And then I think of all the times in the past that I was worrying. And simultaneously, when I was worrying, those trees were just standing there and were just growing. And it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm part of this greater cycle. And in that way, I don't have to be so zoomed in. It's like the my my luke centric viewpoint drops and it's not so important anymore and it's like oh yeah i'll be okay everything's going to be okay nothing's okay and everything's going to be okay at the same time so (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, those those are are difficult, contradictory uh, ideas that we sort of have to hold in our minds simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I often think about the ways that, well, civilization and domestication in particular, but also I think just being a human forces you to hold these like contradictory ideas in your mind at the same time like especially now in 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 our era in in light of the the hell world that we seemingly occupy in terms of politics and 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 social issues and economics and all the rest Mm -hmm. uh climate change it it can feel like things are falling apart around us Mm -hmm. and it's really difficult to like hold self-care as as a high priority on the one hand while also like dealing with the emotional reality that like maybe your financial status will just be bad forever because that's what the world is now (laughs) right yeah those paradoxes i think that's oh man if i could like yeah paradoxes i think are always my indicator that i'm on the right path you know, it's when I've come to a conclusion on something, I'm like, no, the answer is this, you know, then I'm like, oh, wait, I'm missing something. Because if you dive deep enough into an issue, whether it be political or, or, or you know, um, emotional issues or just how to deal and cope with being a human in our world, I think holding paradoxes, holding seemingly opposite things is, is the closest to I can understand to what it means to connect with God. You know, it's just like the more complex and multidimensional and multifaceted it is, the the closer it is to God or spirit or the universe or the Tao or whatever you want to call it. I'm not subscribing to any specific belief here. So it's, I think, and that's where we, our minds are, are very basic and very primitive in some ways where we want concrete answers, you know, like, is it this or is it this? Is it? Republican or is a Democrat? Is it X or is it Y? You know, and we want to come to that end conclusion. And I see that with people in my classes asking that all the time. They're like, well, should I hit this rock hard or soft? I'm like, well, nature is dynamic and it really depends. <laughs> you know, like that's almost always my answer to everyone's question in my classes. They're like, how long, how many minutes should we do this process? I'm like, well, nature is dynamic and it depends on a lot of things um and so kind of finding that like that middle ground between these two things and learning how to um you know be rooted but flowing is is kind of my one of my missions in this world i guess so just trying to help people understand that and you know like for example like how can i be one of my goals is to be softer and more gentle more you know as as i get older and also more of a savage as I get older too. (laughs) Like, how can I be both of those things? How can I be like a, just an animal and, you know, um, live off of almost nothing and, and hunt using things I've only made, you know, from my landscape. And then how can I also like melt more and be more gentle and be more caring and be softer? Um, Mm. you know, that's, that's an, that's a foreign example. I love that in, uh, uh, the book Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. There's there's this one scene. I forget exactly what's going on in the book, but uh, the the main character is describing the art of tennis and and what it means to like move your body and be flowing through this space. And uh, there's this phrase that he uses in the context of of the tennis court, right? Which is that um, the the goal is to to have a self that touches all edges. Ooh. And that that phrase has just like echoed through my mind ever since I read that book years ago. Mm. And and I, I think that really gets at what, what you were just describing there, like expanding your idea of of what yourself is and, and can be, uh, mm. just like constantly striving to expand that that notion in every direction. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow, I really like that. That sounds, that's very zen tennis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's a big part of that book, which is also about uh, a million other things simultaneously. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dense one for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I feel exactly the same way. I, it's, that's been a big part of my 
kind of personal journey over the last two years or so um, is is how to be softer and harder simultaneously and mm-hmm. and and what it really means to 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 spread myself out in all of those directions right and like right. for me I, I had the the experiences last year of of losing my dog and ending a, a relationship that was a really big part of my adult life up until that point mm-hmm. and I feel as though I I came out of it on the other side with a a, a more open heart than before. Mm. Um, I I know that for a lot of people, the exact opposite tends to be true when when we experience loss of love, loss of loss of a friend or a loved one. Mm. Um, We it's it's really it's it's all too easy to close yourself off and just say, well. Well, it sucks to hurt at the end, so I'm just never gonna do any of the other parts that feel good. <laughs> right, totally. One way I've always said it is there's no selective numbing. Mm. You know, it's like when we numb one aspect of ourselves, like, ooh, this is too much, I need to numb. You're also numbing everything else. You can't you know, selectively pick which, what parts of life you want to numb or deaden. It's, it's kind of a package deal. Yep, that's, wow. what, that's what trauma is, is it's too much too fast and shut it down. Like this is, I can't handle this. This is overwhelming. And so just turn it off is in one way or another. So. Mm. Yeah. And, and uh, I think that that gets to the importance of pushing, pushing yourself. That's, that's been a key theme of my adult life. I'm, I'm not someone who's experienced trauma, so I, I really can't speak to the, the, the trauma experience other than just like the baseline trauma of being a domesticated human animal in the modern world. There's different levels of trauma and just being in our world, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's levels of trauma. You know, there's the, there's, yeah, there's like PTSD wartime trauma, which a lot of people think of, but then there's like, you know, not having a rite of passage trauma. Um, there's a certain right. kind of trauma where it's basically things didn't happen to you that are like overly violent or intense, um, but things were left out that are kind of essential to our development as humans. So uh, if we kind of expand our definition of trauma in that way, I'm, I would be impressed to find a human that doesn't have any trauma in their, in their life. Wow, yeah, that, that is so insightful. I have struggled for so long to put that exact idea into words. It's like, it's like developmental neglect. It's not that I experienced anything particularly bad at any point in my life. It's just, it feels like nothing much ever happened. (laughs) And, and a lot of the important things that ought to have happened just never took place. Yeah. Oh man. I wish I could remember her name right now, but there was a, I'm going, not going to take credit for this at all. It was a woman of color that I was just, uh, someone sent me this link and she was going live on Instagram and she was talking about trauma and working with, I think she was some sort of practitioner. Mm, Um, I think I know, I hate to interrupt you, but I think you're talking about April Harder. Okay, that might have been it. Um, yeah, she's been doing some Instagram live stuff talking about like uh, um, uh, issues of racism and things. Yeah, okay. that might. Have, I, I actually don't even know if I caught her name because it was just a friend and a link and I was actually scraping deer hides when I was listening to it. But it was <laughs> cool in the fact that she was maybe, yeah, maybe you'll hear it and be like, oh yeah, that was her. She was talking about working with people and how white people the people, the white people she's worked with have such a hard time admitting or, or acknowledging that like, you know, we have trauma. Cause it's like, cause it, I get it. Like I've, I was that way for many years where I'm like, I came from such privilege and such, you know, um, pretty upper middle class life that I'm like, I don't want to claim that I had trauma. Like, no, everything was hunky dory, you know? Um, while she said her, you know, her clients who people of color and and minorities are often like, oh yeah, no, shit was fucked up. And like, they're more able to acknowledge the, the ways they weren't um, helped or, or when they did have trauma, tra- traumatic experiences growing up. So I think it is healthy for all of us as humans to, you know, not, not compare, you know, but just like, yeah, we all have trauma. We all have it and it's okay um, if it wasn't the most intense, you know, of trauma, but just kind of these little absences, as you said, that the neglect growing up um 
I think, you know, rites of passage is one kind of big one or it's just like, wait, am I a man now? Am I a boy? Like what's going on? I think lacking that and lacking having elders watch you through the process and guide you. I think that's, I think that's intense trauma where we just are like asked to fend for ourselves and anything that is any society that is set up that is fundamentally different or lacking from what our hunter gatherer, you know, cultures were, um, I think is going to create trauma in our bodies because it just doesn't feel safe. It's just like, I, I, I don't know, like I'm do I'm doing this by myself, uh, you know, and being by yourself and far, as far as human survival goes is death, you know? And so <laughs> in our world of, isolation culture where it's like do this by yourself and do this by yourself and do this by yourself our body is constantly on guard because evolutionarily you know neurologically alone is death like you know no matter how bad of a badass of a hunter-gatherer people were thousands of years ago alone was really scary and that was actually really dangerous and humans are meant to do this together we are extremely social species so um so yeah, so I think we're just constantly bombarded with with traumatic things of just like do it by yourself, do it by yourself, do it by yourself, and uh, it's hard not to internalize that and store that in your body. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that has become very clear, uh, like an uh, upfront focus in my life uh, since coming out here to California. Uh, you know, I'm I'm living off grid by myself. Uh, I'm I'm very fortunate to have access to this this place to live, but yeah, I'm 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 doing it by myself. I am, for all intents and purposes, alone out here, aside from my dog and my cats. Uh, and and there are so many, you know, I get by just fine. I I enjoy it out here. You know, if I if if I didn't enjoy it, I would seek out an alternative, right? Like if I preferred to be living in the city, then I would live in the city instead. But um, there there are so many times just in my my day to day problem solving, getting things done, um, where where I realize like this thing I'm trying to do is so much harder than it ought to be, simply yeah. because I'm doing it by myself. <laughs> totally. <laughs> if I just had like two other people to do this thing, we could get it done in an hour, but instead I'm going to spend the next week on it. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I was living on land with some friends, you know, we would often like, you know, four of us be working independently on the land <laughs> and we'd all be like working, doing our own thing. And then we'd stop and be like, wait a minute, I think we're supposed to work together. And then we'd all like, <laughs> you know, all four of us would team up and do one of the tasks and then the next task and we would get done so much faster. We would have so much more fun, you know, and it was connective instead of just like, Oh, I got to do work. You know, it was, it was more of a party that way. And it was like, <laughs> Oh, right. We had to keep reminding ourselves. Oh, right. We're supposed to work together. That's right. Right. <laughs> the goal is to cooperate as it turns out. <laughs> yeah. This is what I call one of the, you know, human superpowers is our ability to cooperate, which is, kind of a you know a very rare trait in in the animal world um you know there's um not a ton of cooperation going on and our level of socialness is through the roof and so it's just like you know the amish people raise a barn in a freaking day you know like that's insane because <laughs> they're all working together um and i think we just underestimate that over and over and over it's 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 vulnerable to ask for help and I think that's where kind of our society and, and disconnection connect where, um, oh, there's like, a, you know, I don't, I, there was a poem on my, I'm trying to think of the, I'm not very good at citing my sources, but there was a poem I came across <laughs> long ago that said something like, I don't really know how to build community, but I know how to destroy community. And in order to destroy community, do everything by yourself. You know, like, don't ask for help. Don't ask for that cup of sugar. Don't ask for, you know, just try to do it all by yourself. And that's the way we kill community. And so um, it's really by vulnerability and sharing and asking for help is how we build community. And, you know, it's most of the time it's met with, with well, at least the times I ask for help, it's met with connection and, and joy. And um, so when we live in a world where food is easy to get, generally speaking, and we can all, we can all manage by ourselves, 
we don't connect because we're just all in our own little world. Um, I'll just keep going on my own thing because yeah, I, I don't need to ask for help. And because of that, we don't connect and yeah, and we're, we're by ourselves. Yeah. And, and something I've been contemplating lately in, in lieu of my living situation again is I don't think that when we're considering the, the nature connection puzzle, we don't often incorporate or, or, put an emphasis on the human connection part. Like if we accept that humans are not disconnected from nature, mm -hmm. that also implies that we humans ought to be pretty tightly connected to one another, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. that is to be connected to other people is to be more deeply connected to nature. Absolutely. Yeah. When I, when I call like, Oh, we're disconnected from nature. I, I consider like healthy human culture rooted in the earth as a part of nature, you know, so like rites of passage, that's being not having that in our society is being disconnected from our nature, or from nature in general. Um, so yeah, it's, it's vital that we have, you know, we talk about rewilding and um, nature connection. And it's like, well, I want to rewild myself, you know, it's all on this individual level, I want to be barefoot, and I want to drink spring water, and I want to, you know, do all those things. But it's like, there's also a, a rewilding of our society of our culture, that I'm really passionate about and finding ways to connect um, through the earth with with other humans and have these ceremonies throughout the year, um, rites of passage, um, grief ceremonies, um, just times to come together, um, I think it's, it's been so, so, so beautiful. Like, uh, it's that time of year where a lot of my friends put on an ancestor feast. You know, that's a, this is a great example. And we all come together. We pick an ancestor of ours that has been dead for a while. And this is actually, um, Paul Raphael is an Odawa man who has been teaching, um, some of his lineage. So his nation is from the great lakes region and this is one of their traditions this ancestor feast and they basically you you have an all-night gathering and everyone feasts for um one of our one of your ancestors so it could be your great uncle that died you know or um your great 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 grandmother um but during the feast you know we, we share food we cook food that was of their of of our tradition or of our lineage we tell stories about our ancestor and we, we just stay up all night and you just eat and eat and eat and eat and tell stories. Um, and it's really beautiful. And, um, my partner, my girlfriend just went to, um, one I was teaching. I sadly couldn't make it this year, but she was telling me just how powerful it was to, to have a, a community event where everyone came to, you know, to honor their ancestors to hear other people's stories, to realize our connection and to pray together and to grieve together. And to, you know, there was a lot of healing around racial issues at this last gathering. And it just, it was just like freaking amazing. And I'm like, Oh my God, like everyone needs this. You know, we, we don't, we lost that in our world. We've lost this ancestor connection piece in our culture. And, um, I want to find ways to, to restore it. Cause right now it's kind of like we're borrowing, you know, a Native American tradition. And that's, I, I think, okay. You know, I wrestle with that. Um, and I would love to create, have a, such a strong culture and such a strong community that we would kind of use that, you know, um, Odawa ceremony and find ways to incorporate, you know, like it's kind of a placeholder. It's like, oh, well, we can make our own song for this song, you know, because I don't really know what those words mean in this other language. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that, that's been really beautiful for me. Um, that's one example of ceremony and connection with humans and rewilding our culture, not just ourselves individually. Yeah, that's so beautiful that I think your yeah, your community is so fortunate to, to be able to come together for something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, uh, so outside of the podcast, I sometimes tutor people about edible wild plants mm. and I actually just started up uh, another session where I'm, I'm tutoring, uh, I think about 15 people all around North America um, right. about the basics of botany and, and plant taxonomy and all the rest. 
and um, it's one of my favorite things to do. It's it's by far the the coolest and, and most satisfying thing I've ever gotten paid to do, uh, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. Um, yeah. But but so much more than that is um, well. So yesterday I was I was talking to one of my students and she brought up the idea of tribal knowledge, which mm. uh, which put words to to another idea that had kind of been like brewing in the back of my mind, which is is it's just been so cool. So like last year was the first time that I, I started tutoring people on this topic, and. Um, in the, in the time since, after working with the first round of students last year, uh, I, you know, I've kept up, kept in touch with them and I've observed them on social media, you know, sharing the stuff that I taught them and like sharing new other stuff, you know, things I didn't know, stuff about plants that I didn't teach them about, you know, mm -hmm. taking all the stuff that I taught them and, and running with it and, and teaching it to all the people around them who, who might be similarly interested in. And, and it's just, um, yeah, I love this idea of, of this tribal knowledge. Like, mm -hmm. I, I try to be very upfront about the fact that I am by no means an expert in, in anything. <laughs> uh, I, I know a little bit about a lot of stuff, and I try to be as honest and upfront as possible when I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I, I do, I know enough to be able to pass on everything that a, another person would need to know to safely identify and eat chickweed and, and wood sorrel and dandelions, as mentioned before. And, yeah. and then there's this, this incredible ripple effect where telling this one person that you can eat chickweed, they will then go on and tell another five people who will then tell another five. And before you know it, there's a hundred people who now know that you can eat chickweed just because oh. you taught this one person. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely it feels a lot like like cross-pollination you know just like just like nature you know diversity and more connections the better the healthier the system and it you know that's kind of the upside of our internet world is god this if we could be so connected if we used it in the right way you know we could we could teach everyone 30 edible plants that are growing at any moment it, you know just just like that if if we were using social media in a more connective earth earth rooted kind of way yeah i've that's something i've definitely struggled with in in both my city life and my rural middle of nowhere life mm. is uh the question of whither social media <laughs> uh, i i'm sure you can relate as as somebody who's uh you know primary uh means of income depends on consistently connecting with new people who are interested in learning from you. Um, but then like having to reckon with the fact that uh, Facebook, for example, is pretty much undeniably uh, a key player in like the rapid decline of our culture around us right now, <laughs> which again, it's, it's one of those things where like, you have to hold two contradictory ideas in your head simultaneously. Like exactly. on the one hand, this is like one of the most destructive forces our culture has ever seen. On the other hand, I have to participate in it. If I, right. if I want to have any hope of like helping anybody. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think, you know, Oh man. Yeah. I mean, if you look at anything, anything I do, you know, I just, it's, it's destructive in some way. Like I just went grocery shopping and that's where I feel the most conflicted in the whole world. I'm like, Oh, I'll get some, you know, I'll get some uh, cashews. I'm like, oh, like cashews don't go around here. They're like, you know, they're going to kill something in South America. Okay. Uh, I'll get some mangoes. Oh, crap. Those don't grow here either. Um, well, I'll get some local, you know, chicken. I'm like, oh, no, that place uses, you know, antibiotics or blah, 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 blah. It's just like, oh, this has too much wrapping on it. And it's just like, so food, travel, job. It's just, it feels like a full-time job to try and find a way that is not hurting overtly hurting this planet but basically our existence in this world is taking and is you know hurting this world in one way or another um i've yet to find that person who's like you know completely you know doing doing it all from the earth and completing their own cycles um i guess you know the last people on this earth are those hunter gatherers those are the the, the last truly free people in this world that 
make their own clothes and find their own food and make their own medicine and make their own house and have no one to answer to. And, you know, those, those humans are, are dwindling as well. So yeah, we, we live in such an odd juxtaposition of a world where we have the last remaining hunter gatherers who live in basically stone age technology. And then we also have Kim Kardashian. Like, it's just like, <laughs> what world are we in? This is so crazy. So I don't have any answers other than feel it is, is kind of always my medicine of just feel, you know, like the warrior's heart. Like I said, keep your heart open and realize, you know, the, the pain and the grief and the destruction that we do inherit, you know, um, that we do create just by existing in this world and find, take baby steps, you know, just take baby steps. Do use a little less, um, make things a little bit more with your hands. Like, that's just all, all we can do. I, I don't, I haven't figured out any other way. I think um, that's my best advice is, is feel it, grieve it, and then hold opposites and, and keep moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right on. I'd, I'd say that's about as good a place as any to uh, wrap up our conversation. It seems like <laughs> yeah. we've kind of come full circle. Um, yeah. I think, I think the, the, the best medicine for, all of us, regardless of our circumstances, is to feel our way through it. Just allow ourselves to feel whatever it is all the way and and don't expect to ever find a solution, but don't let that stop you from seeking it. Totally. Right on. Well, Luke, this has been such a pleasure. I'm so glad we were able to connect today. Yeah, this is a great conversation. Thanks so much, Sam. Yeah. Um, if people want to find out about more about your work and, and how to connect with you, uh, where should they go? Yeah. Uh, HolisticSurvivalSchool.com, YouTube, Instagram, all that. Right now, I am still taking in applications for my nine-month immersion program called Deep Remembering. Uh, located in Asheville, North Carolina. So if people are into uh, the stuff I was kind of talking about, doing some inner tracking, but also connecting deeply to our landscape through primitive skills, um, I'm really excited to be putting that on. This is kind of my soul's work all rolled up in one awesome burrito. So um, yeah, so uh, applications end uh, December 31st. So um, go to Holistic Survival School, all the info's there, and they can check that out. Awesome. That sounds like a really sweet opportunity. I'm excited to hear how that plays out. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And we didn't even uh, bring up your, your multiple stints on Naked and Afraid. Is it, am I correct that you have another appearance in the near future? Um, according, I cannot... And that was my conversation with Luke McLaughlin. If you're in the Asheville, North Carolina area and you're interested in the stuff that Luke teaches, I would definitely recommend checking out his immersive deep remembering program in 2020. Uh, I took a look at the tentative schedule that he's got lined up and it really is a comprehensive crash course in all of the things that Luke does best. This is the part of the show where in the past, after an interview, I would follow up with my final thoughts, reflecting on some key themes or points brought up in the conversation, perhaps drawing on my own personal experiences or offering motivation and inspiration, encouraging you to follow the lead of the cool people who I speak with who are living the good life on their own terms. But henceforth, from here on out, these final thought segments will now be considered bonus episodes of the podcast unto themselves, and they will be released exclusively for subscribers at any tier over on Patreon at patreon.com slash goodliferevival. I'm really looking forward to expanding this segment into its own proper space. Uh, I'm thinking about letting the final thoughts episodes be where I can get a little more loose, a little more personal, um, maybe share stories from my own life that I wouldn't necessarily broadcast to thousands of strangers in a public forum, but maybe I wouldn't mind sharing them with a few dozen comrades. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you enjoyed this conversation today and you'd like to hear me wax philosophical on some of the key themes that emerged here, I hope you will consider becoming a subscriber. 
By the time you're hearing this episode, the final thoughts will already be published and waiting for you over on Patreon for your listening pleasure. Uh, that, uh, that bonus episode is called A Self That Touches All Edges, as a nod to that line from Infinite Jest that I mentioned in the conversation. In addition to that bonus episode, you will also gain early access to the interviews themselves well in advance of their release here on the main feed, along with uh, lots of other exclusive multimedia content that I share periodically over on Patreon. To learn more and sign up today, once again, you can visit patreon.com slash goodliferevival. For notes and links related to this installment of the show, visit thegoodliferevival.com slash podcast slash 71. Until next time, this is your friend Sam Sycamore, reminding you that an awe-inspiring world of tenderness and savagery is waiting right outside your door. Are you ready to step out? The Good Life Revival podcast is made possible by listeners like you. You can pledge your support for the show at patreon.com slash goodliferevival or offer a one-time financial contribution at paypal.me slash goodliferevival. For more stories, perspectives, and knowledge encountered on the path back to nature, visit thegoodliferevival.com. And thank you for being here.